Hi, Madeline. Hi, Julia. Uh, how are you? Good. How are you? Welcome, everybody, to uh, Couch of Characters. Uh, we'll we'll do our right. little yeah disclaimer. Okay. Well, we yeah we are on episode four. Yeah, that's it's, crazy. It's been a while since we podcasted, but dear listeners, if you're still with us, we're gonna start podcasting more. Yes, we are, and we might well we might be on five if we consider our little ethics blast episode. That's true. So yes. it just depends on how you characterize that. But anyway, so for new listeners. This is a podcast where two therapists analyze movie, television, and book characters. And again, we are for entertainment purposes only, so no advice, interventions, or information should be applied or attempted in your own life. And this is not meant to replace or supplement professional help. Information shared in the podcast could be harmful should you apply it to yourself, friends, family members, or people you interact with in your life. So please listen and enjoy. So yes. What are we talking about today? Well, we, we're going to talk about a movie and a character that may be near and dear to many of our hearts. Um, <laughs> we're going to discuss, uh, this is a two-parter, so mm-hmm. we're focusing on uh, feminist family therapy, and we are going to kind of juxtapose characters through that lens. We're working with Fatal Attraction, Glenn Close, her character Alex uh, Forrest, I think is the yeah. name. And we're, we're going to be a little hard on Michael Douglas's character, but we have to mm-hmm. be. <laughs> if we're going to use feminist family therapy, yeah. yeah, we have to. We just have to, yeah. And so, um, and then in part two, we're going to kind of look at how differently a feminist family therapist would view Alana and Abby in Broad City. Because it's so very different characters. Very different. Yeah, one of the things we talked about moving forward was that we had done three episodes with men. Yeah. We hadn't done a single female yet, and I think not feeling... Like true to our feminine selves, we're like, let's do a bunch of women. Yes. And then uh, just gonna add in the current political climate. I figured, like, this would be a milestone for us to like, let's yeah. talk about women. And uh, what'll be nice is we're kind of talking about a woman who probably most people, when you watch Fatal Attraction, sees as fairly disturbed. Mm-hmm. But then we're gonna also, but we'll talk about that. And then what we'll also talk about though are Abby and Alana who aren't even really diagnosable, but just like really cool, fun chicks who yeah. have a good time in New York. So yeah, and that'll be kind of fun. And it is interesting to sort of think about how all three of those characters and create discomfort in certain audiences yeah. for different reasons. Yes. So it's, but we find them all great, to be great and fascinating. Yes. So. so go ahead. Why don't you talk a little bit about yeah. feminist theory? So we kind of need to talk, go a little back to the roots of family therapy to, and think about uh, structural functionalist theory, which is a theory that focuses a lot on sort of um, almost anti-deviance, a lot of nuclear family rules, uh, including as many people as possible in the most functional uh, way as possible. So sort of very different than a feminist therapy lens. Mm-hmm. And in 1987 is when Fatal Attraction, I believe, came that out. That is correct. So we actually have a family therapy article that we want to share from 1987. Um, so I'll read a little bit from there. It's by Rachel T. Hare Mustin, um, and she is... One of my heroes. Yeah, is she? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, cool. You know, when right? you learn about feminist theory, or I have a minor in women's studies, oh. actually. So this is like my thing. It was really... Awesome. Yeah. Well, good. It's good to revisit this. Yes. So, so she says the. I'll just read a little mm-hmm. bit from her 
article, the field of family therapy is now a continuous process like a car cruising on automatic control with the driver comfortably in the lotus position. (laughs) Family therapy theory rests on normative concepts of the traditional family and idealized conceptions of family relationships. So that's more like the structural functionalist, um, which is actually really hard to say over and over again. So I might just call it the structural Um, Inequalities in the family associated with gender have been regarded as of little importance to the development of macro theory in the field. The two most influential therapeutic models, psychodynamic and systemic approaches, are each marked by some gender bias, which we kind of all know that. and then she writes the alpha prejudice of psychodynamic theories exaggerates gender differences and the beta prejudice of the systemic approaches ignore them. And that's not necessarily true of the therapists um, mm-hmm. practicing sort of in these fields. Like I think there's a lot of really incredible psychodynamic and Absolutely. systems therapists that have figured this out. Mm-hmm. But the theories and their origin were created with a lot of gender biases yes. is what this writer feels. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it comes from this idea um, as these theories were being developed after World War II of sort of the the ideal family unit, which mm-hmm. I, don't, I think was, was really constructed, is this idea of the nuclear family mm-hmm. where the father goes off to work and he's the breadwinner and he's strong and that woman stays home and she's a housewife and she raises the children, which goes into things moving then into the 60s with the feminist movement, the civil rights movement, and the unpaid work or unpaid, um, you know, being, quote, being a housewife as being unpaid labor. Um, But then also what are gender roles and then what we as human beings, um, how we categorize gender roles and attribute to power. So this idea of like being strong and being not showing emotions is this stoic man, the Marlboro man, right? And that's better than the weak woman who's crying or shows emotions, things like that. Yes. And so you live in this world and then you have scientists and therapists who start creating these theories and that's sort of where you end up creating this idea of like the mm-hmm. fro- and Freud. Right. Anyway, go ahead. And that's also part of of what um, Dr. Hare Mustin writes. Am I saying that right, Julia? You are. So she says that the gender role ideals turn out to be simplifications and caricatures. Um, The uncritical use of gender role concepts supports power differences between men and women and ignores the complexities and commonalities of human experience. And the failure of family therapy theory to deal with gender issues needs to be addressed if a theory... Uh, if if a theory that is not just more of the same is to be developed. And so that sort of sets the stage um, for kind of how we're going to talk about fatal attraction. <laughs> There's a ton of gender role things going on in this movie. And it's very interesting to watch the movie. Like I watched it as like a young child and to now watch it as a lady. And the other thing I have to say is that, so I identify as a feminist but I also think sometimes, like, if I decide to watch a movie to analyze it for feminist theory, I just, I end up so mad yeah. <laughs> by the time, by the end of the two hours. Right. Because all these things that you are sort of glazed over become really prominent yeah. when you're th- when yeah. you're watching a movie for those cues. So, yeah. Do you want to do, should we talk about feminist therapy? Yes. And do that, and then we can dive into the fantastic story that is Fatal Attraction. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so we want to, like you young budding MFTs, get some feminist therapy under your belt before we go after some of the fatal attraction characters. And then some of you young young MFTs are going to have to, like, go watch the movie because some of you may not have even been born when this movie came out. So, yeah. yeah. Please watch it. Please watch it. (laughs) Yes. So feminist uh, therapy 
Um, this is a little kind of interesting. I was looking for just a real quick rundown. Wikipedia did a pretty good job, so we'll just share what they have to say about it. Uh, it's a set of related therapies arising from what proponents um, see as a disparity between the origin of most psychological theories, and so kind of like uh, the feminist writer we just talked about, and the majority of people seeking counseling being female. So it focuses on societal, cultural, and political causes and solutions to issues faced in the counseling process. And it openly encourages the client to participate in the world in a more social and political way. So it, it sort of mushes all those things yeah. together. The personal is political. Yes. Uh, political is and personal. I think that's one of the things that really makes feminist therapy stand out compared to other ones is the personal is political. Mm-hmm. And that's very different from so many of the other models where you know, it's it's not political at all. Like structural family therapy. Very different. Very different. And I think what's kind of interesting about um, feminist therapy is that while it sort of comes out of the idea that systemic therapy is very gender role, mm-hmm. it's kind of impossible to do systemic therapy, I think, in practice, unless you have some sort of understanding of feminist therapy, mm-hmm. because every part of a person's system physically emotionally socially Mm -hmm. politically impacts their relationships and their intimacies so it's really interesting to think that you know especially if you work with people who've experienced trauma or people that have had relationships with a big disparity in Mm -hmm. power and control i don't know how i couldn't do that work without some you know underpinning of the feminist work regardless of biological or gender identity Mm -hmm. whatever you know of my client this is interesting Um, feminist therapy, so just kind of continuing, it contends that women are in a disadvantaged position in the world due to sex, gender, sexuality, race, ethnicity, religion, age, and other categories. Is it fair to say that that could be true of marginalized populations? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like that's the other, I think, key here in feminist therapies we talk today um, is recognizing that this is also a good way to think about any type of... um, minority or disenfranchised population too which could include men of certain groups so and of certain experiences and of certain experiences right feminist therapists argue that many problems that arise in therapy are due to disempowering social forces thus the goal of therapy is to recognize these forces and empower the client in a feminist therapy setting the therapist and client work as equals the therapist, therapist must demystify therapy from the beginning to show the client that she is her own rescuer and the expectations, roles, and responsibilities of both client and therapist must be explored and equally agreed upon. The therapist recognizes that with every symptom a client has, there is a strength. Yep. Good stuff. That's really good stuff. Yeah. And then in 2007... Um, Elizabeth Mahaney, who's an MFT, she also talks about theory and techniques of feminist therapy. And she sort of takes an approach of, she says, she writes, resocialization follows social and gender role analysis and involves reorganizing the client's belief system. So they learn to view things differently and they develop new coping skills and strategies. So methods are taught that increase self-esteem, assertiveness, and self-views. A main goal of resocialization is an overall increase in well-being. They also talk about how to sort of uh, inspire social activism in clients, whether that be on sort of the micro level, their own relationships, or on the macro level out in the community. And Gerald Corey writes about feminist therapy that there are five interrelated principles that are at work here. So we'll kind of uh, bring those up for discussion. So first is the personal is political, which we talked about. 
Um, second, the counseling relationship is egalitarian, which encourages equality between the therapist and the client. And I have to say, in, um, when I was in training, I watched a really strong feminist therapist work as sort of an egalitarian model with a couple where there was extreme power differentials between the 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 female role and the male role and so as much as it was empowering for the woman it also allowed her to keep control over the room keep control over the space uh, because there there's some some interesting things happen when you have those power dynamics and you bring a couple in and for lack of a better like this is a stereotypical story is the man wants to be in charge of the room and so you have an egalitarian therapist who happens to be female that serves her both to empower the the woman and to hold the space it's kind of interesting Hmm. and then third so the women's experiences are honored um and they need, need to get in touch with their own personal experiences and intuition um, and then four definitions of distress and mental illness are reformulated involving the internal as well as external factors of distress. So think of if we if you go watch Fatal Attraction, think of how different somebody from like a psychoanalytic perspective would view Glenn Close's mm-hmm. character than a feminist family therapist. So I'm watching this and I can't help but think like how much power and control was taken from this woman for years and years and yeah. years before she got to the point where she felt that big of a need to control mm-hmm. all of her intimate relationships. So, um, and then finally, uh, we have feminist therapists use an integrated analysis of oppression, which means that they understand that both men and women are subjected to oppression and stereotypes and that these oppressive experiences have found, have a profound effect on beliefs and perceptions. So that's really important. Some of these things I feel like are just part of being like a good, good human. I know. I agree. <laughs> and like just being a good like being a good therapist. Um, yeah. 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 And then there's four more points. So um, first, egalitarian, egalitarian relationships in general. So this is we have an equal client and therapist relationship. We don't assume we know what the other person's experience is. Um, and of course, that would be interesting with uh, Glenn Close, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know, you'd have to, you'd also have to think about safety <laughs> um, because she happens, she's very knife happy. So in this, in this movie, so you'd, you'd want to be equal, but you'd want to put safety first. Um, also think of thinking about power. Women are taught to gain and use power in relationships um, and the possible consequences of their actions. And then um, we want to look at enhancement of women's strengths. Much of traditional therapy focuses on a woman's shortcomings and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what feminist therapists will, would do. And when we're not, when we're also not pathologizing people, um, we also want to be non-victim blaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and the medical model has really rejected women's problems. Um, and they're yeah. often seen as coping, coping mechanisms in the social context. So. I think the medical model in particular, especially even around like studies of like medications and things like mm-hmm. that, most of those are done with like white men or grown men, you know, and, and they are like, oh, I don't need to test this medication on women, even thinking about like standard dosages for mental health medications. What's the standard dosage for? Generally, it's like 155 pound man. So, you know, who do have very different hormones than women do? And yet this becomes the standard of care for treatment with women with mental health. And it's like, maybe yeah. you should do some studies on how these medications affect women, too, because the results might be different. And that's and also like a also, trial error dosaging then. Right. It's, all, it's also interesting to think about it. Um, 
from the perspective I have is, is also work, working, um, I do a lot of sex therapy, mm-hmm. thinking in terms of the medical model. I was sort of naive when I first came to the mm-hmm. field wondering, well, why is it, you know, over and over again, why is it that this person's doctor hasn't identified why there's pain with this activity mm-hmm. or lack of sensation here? You know, and, and yeah. uh, what I learned through sex therapy super- supervision was often that the amount of time that somebody actually is required to spend learning about a woman's body is really minimal compared to the amount of women they'll be serving as a medical doctor. Really? Yeah. And that's changed a lot, I think, over the mm-hmm. last decade. But just really interesting to think about how little time you actually would spend, you know, with those specific issues right. and still be able to, you know, say that that's, that's your thing <laughs> as, as a doctor. Since so. we're talking about sex a little bit, I mean, would you say, too, that we're still, like, even though it's 2016, we're still dealing with a lot of misinformation about, not to, we're not going to get completely off topic, but, like, mm-hmm. like thinking about feminist ther- theory, um, versus the, like a patriarchal society is there still seems to be a lack of understanding about women's bodies, women's organs, women's, you know, sex, things like that. It's, um, it's profound. Like, I'm still shocked about mm-hmm. the la- the disparity between what's actually happening and what people think is happening. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's that's really important because if we're, we're talking about like these really big non-tangible items like power and control. Right. We don't we don't necessarily even have the physical tangible things figured out. Mm-hmm. So right, yes. like like the whole time in Fatal Attraction mm-hmm. when Glenn Close is being thrown against walls and stabbing people, I'm thinking she's pregnant. Yeah, like this is not the activity she should be doing. No. <laughs> so, so like it's fine. No, <laughs> no, and, and it's yeah. not like like Michael Douglas, like his character. He didn't like go see a therapist and say, you know, I'm really concerned about her 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 ability to self advocate for our child because she keeps trying to kill my family. He just like fights back and he kind of beats up this pregnant lady, basically. So that's an interesting, an interesting look yes. at power and control yes. and lack of anatomical awareness. So, right. Or disregard for it. Disregard. Yeah. So. Well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, let's be honest, mm-hmm. right? Michael mm-hmm. Douglas, it's all about him. It it's is. It's about his character. Yep. Dan not Gallagher. Dan Gallagher. Yes. Not yeah. about it's the not... safety of his unborn child. No. No. And he doesn't want that child. No. So that's also really interesting. We'll kind of get it, yeah. d- dig deep. So you, you must watch this movie after we talk. Yeah. But so who is Michael Douglas's ca- character, Dan Gallagher. Um, before we jump into that, Julia, anything else about feminist mm. therapy? I don't think so. Okay. I, I think, think we're, we're good. We have enough to kind of yeah. tackle this. I feel like we'll probably do other podcasts about this stuff because it's good. Yes. Well, maybe one more thing to say that I look yeah. here is just this idea of um, uh, feminist. It says here, uh, so gender issues need to be addressed because they cause psychological distress and shape unwanted behavior. Our lives are affected and influenced by the stigmas and stereotypes associated with these internal and environmental pressures, which can affect one's identity. Feminist therapy recognizes this and implements these concerns in practice. So furthermore, women live in a world dominated by males and masculine patterns of thought and behavior. Until recently, psychological studies of human behavior were almost always conducted by men on men. Uh, and then these were applied. So this is the one thing I'd like to point out is and we're still seeing this today, is this sort of, you know, like, girls wear dresses and boys don't. And girls play with dolls and boys play with trains. So I think before we were even aware, like, kids are socialized at a very young age about very stereotypical gender roles. And when you don't fit into that, it just sets the stage. So, like, feminist therapy basically says we're not going to, 
Like, we need to look at the world differently and like institutional sexism that exists, too, in the world um, around the way uh, men and women treat each other because mm-hmm. it ha- women I've seen women in a corporate like setting rip on other women and say derogatory things about them. And I don't even think and like being really critical. And I'm like, I don't even think you're aware of what you're saying, but like you're in a position of power in this company and like you're acting like a good old boy. This isn't OK. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that would be the last thing. So they talk about boys are supposed to be independent, self-sufficient, dominant, aggressive, Dan Gallagher, right? Mm -hmm. And successful. Girls are sweet, well-behaved, passive, submissive, over-emotional, and attractive. So... These are this is a conflicting problem because the same traits that are considered appropriate for little girls are considered negative and inappropriate as mature adults. Men tend to view the world in terms of competition and power, while females look at aspects of the world through relationships and connections to others. I also believe then that there is value placed on those behavior on those stereotypes, and that the those male traits are held in higher esteem than women tra- traits. So you know, like women who cry is a sign of weakness because when men cry, it's a sign of weakness. Versus saying, let's be accepting of a wide range. It's very healthy to be accepting of a wide range of emotions, and just because you cry all the time like when you watch a movie trailer doesn't mean (laughs) you have a mental disorder it just means you're in touch with your tender heart so anyway yes that's that's symbolizing that so this will be interesting to talk about now so that's all i have to add yeah and well i think the crying one is really interesting too to think about that um it's it's sort of in the context of it being a weakness, people people that are sort of afraid of the tears or the mm-hmm. crying, you know, and they feel like they're going to have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, Julia, if you're crying for a movie trailer, like is the social expectation, which you don't have it, but is society's mm-hmm. expectation that someone's going to come fix it for you? Yeah. You know, right. and and no, that's not what you no, want. You want to you want to have your feelings. I just want my feelings. I just want to <laughs> cry when I watch a Dog's Purpose movie trailer, yeah, which, which is really great because my partner basically looks at me and is fine. He doesn't shame me. He doesn't tell me to stop it. He doesn't tell me I'm being ridiculous or that I need to suck it up. He just looks at me and is like, yeah, she's crying. It's a movie trailer about a dog. That's great. It's fantastic. So then I I feel very safe in my home to cry about ridiculous things, which happens on a regular basis. But as my acupuncturist would say, if we stifle our emotions, it's just going to manifest itself as pain in the body, people. So... Mm -hmm got to get it out somehow by stifling it doesn't mean it goes away it right just shows itself in your piriformis muscle when you're getting a massage right yeah that's one example of where and and that's it and that's <laughs> interesting goes that that's but that's super yeah. but that's a really good physical example mm-hmm. the ones that are harder for us to pick up on are sort of the more mental health ones yeah. so and also there are theorists that feel like infidelity like the mm-hmm. what happens in fatal attraction is a symptom of repressed issues yes often in like a intimate dyad and so there it's more you know it can be assessed as a behavior but we can also look at it as it doesn't just happen in every relationship mm-hmm. and it doesn't. And for one person, it might not happen in one relationship, but it happens in a different one. So there's systemic rules of functioning patterns of behavior between couples that sort of, if you can look at it objectively mm-hmm. lead to different behaviors that are not disinhibited. Yeah. So there's something about Dan Gallagher's relationship with his wife. And this is, has a lot to do with power and control where he, it, he, he, thinks 
essentially it's okay to go have sex with somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's not a behavior that's, it, that behavior is disinhibited in him. It's, it's an option. He didn't get the sex at home, so he can go have it somewhere else. Yeah. Is well, he entitled to it? Would you say? I, like, what's your like? Is that belief system is like entitlement? Yeah, we, in sort of the if we're gonna go patriarchal or analyze it from a man, maybe that's a more radical feminist. Mm-hmm. But if we look at the chain of events, yes, <laughs> I was laughing watching uh-huh. this movie from this lens <laughs> because so. So we'll do do yeah. a synopsis of the movie. I'll do a synopsis and we'll go through our and chain we'll of events yes. that illustrates this perfectly. Just because I know, and I can't wait to hear your chain of events. <laughs> so, so Dan Gallagher, uh, according to IMDb, he's a, he's a successfully successful businessman, happily married New York attorney. He's living in Manhattan, and he meets Alexandra Forrest or Alex Forrest, uh, Glenn Close. So he he enters the forest, yes, <gasps> and then she's an editor for a publishing company, um, and her their, their businesses are kind of kind of overlap a little okay. bit they they kind of travel in the same circles so his wife beth played by ann archer and his daughter ellen uh who's actually really named ellen hamilton latson um they're they're out of town for the weekend and dan has an uh, he has a passionate affair with alex and the the feminism is just screaming through this because one like the first big sex scene they have together is in the middle of a kitchen on top of a kitchen sink <laughs> And so, like, I just kept waiting for somebody, like, in an apron to walk out, like, you know, bring them sticky buns or something, like, or his wife to walk by with the vacuum cleaner. Like, it was just, like, really, really uh, poignant moment. So, Dan explains that he must go home um, after his weekend of this love affair while his wife is in the country. And Alex, uh, Glenn Close's character, she slits her wrists in a suicide attempt and and I've actually, I feel like the sink, the kitchen sink is its own character in mm-hmm. this film because it's sort of the place where they first have sex. It's the place where they wash her bloody wrists. They just keep going back to this, this kitchen sink. What do you think that sink. means? Like from a, is this like a Freudian thing or is it just, because it, it's also interesting about the sink and water and the bathtub later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. So she's repeatedly, it's like water is a theme throughout. Yeah. Um, throughout the film but also just sort of like we're in very like sort of traditionally female gender role stereotypic places for a lot of the movie yeah like there's a lot of like bedroom time kitchen time a lot of you never see him like out in his garage at his workbench right yeah he's sort of he's yeah he's sort of in these spaces they're they're, they move at one point during the movie and there's like a lot of remodeling happening and so it's just very interesting Hmm. his wife talks about how two or three times a week she has a cleaner come in so i don't know if this was intentional yeah or if i'm just kind of making this up um probably not but maybe from from watching this but it just does the wife have a job or does she stay home? I'm curious. It, it appears that she stays at home. Okay. Her, the purpose she serves is really to make sure that things are clean, that the ch- children are taken care of. She's sort of almost like, to me, she appears like a trophy wife. So yeah. they go to this dinner, this fancy dinner, and he's very dressed up in a suit and he's sort of scanning the room for his next, you know, kind of business move almost, mm-hmm. uh, networking. And she's only looking at him. And she, her, his question is, you know, kind of how is my evening going to go and look at all these people. And her question is, she says, does my hair look okay? So it's like very oh, interesting. Powerful. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> So we have the sink as a character. We have we don't like the Dan Gallagher guy, and and his wife is sort of uh, 
A robot? Yeah. She's sort of like a, a very one-sided. We get to see a couple different sides of her throughout mm-hmm. the film, but they all play into that gender role. So she's either smiling and happy. Um, she's crying to the point where she can't drive mm-hmm. and needs to be hospitalized. Um, and I'm not judging this. It's just no, interesting. It's, well, it goes to, and I, I want a podcast down the road. I think it also goes to, and this is another like three-hour podcast probably, would be what how films create these these caricatures and stereotypes of women. So you have this like sort of very Stepford wife character supportive of her husband. And then the flip side is this like crazed, emotionally uninhibited, you know, yeah. Alex. And these are the two female representations in his life of like of that. And we see that in Down the Road, I want to do actually it's another Michael Douglas film, Basic Instinct with mm-hmm. Sharon Stone. And then also the TV, uh, the movie Showgirls with Elizabeth Berkley, who also play uh, sort of a similar, you could almost put them on a spectrum or a, like a scale of uh, gender stereotypes. And I think, is this how men think women really are? Or is this how men think women are supposed to be when I watch some of these films, as you say, especially with the feminist lens of like, you know, mm-hmm. could we have like interesting, complicated characters? And there are those out there. Like in Broad City. Like in Broad yeah. City, we're going to talk about later, who are like really awesome and cool and show a wide range of emotions, but are very independent and things like that. So especially these movies, the three movies we're talking about here are like late 80s and the 90s films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really, I just find it interesting. And that was an interesting time for women mm-hmm. in the late yeah. 80s, early 90s. Right. So Right. Yeah. So they're having an affair. She attempts mm-hmm. to kill herself. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't want him to leave. leave. Yeah, and he sort of passively suggests that she go to a doctor. (laughs) Also, also can we talk about, like, in real life, dear listeners, if you're with somebody and you've just had sex with them and you're leaving and they slit their wrists, you need to call 911 and get them to a hospital ASAP. Do not just bandage them and casually leave. Right. So I just feel like that's a good public service announcement today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what's so interesting, it is a public service announcement, but it's also really, so he does like clean her up, bandage her up. She takes a nap because she's had a lot of blood loss. He stays till she wakes up and she's sort of over this explosive emotional hump and she feels much better appearances would say Mm -hmm. and she says sorry I overreacted let's see each other again and he sort of leaves and then he goes home you know and his poor dog who's also a character in this movie still hasn't been let out to go to the bathroom (laughs) which is a whole other issue that we have to address with Dan Gallagher but so repeatedly just these kind of awkward moments where he sort of kind of does whatever he wants and and everybody around him sort of suffers for it right right so he tells her he does have to go home. Um, she lets him go. They have this sort of theme. They talk about Madame Butterfly. That's a really famous opera. Um, I believe at the end of Madame Butter- Butterfly, the the main female character kills herself over a man. So Ooh, interesting okay. theme here. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Gallagher asks Glenn Close to please not call him again. Mm-hmm. Um, she continues to call him at home and at work. And... Though then she, it's interesting. She then shows up at his apartment, which is for sale, and spends some time with his wife, who doesn't know who she is. Um, 
and she's pregnant with Dan Gallagher's child at the time. And she's telling his wife how she's a single woman. She's looking for an apartment as nice as theirs. She's having a baby. So that's a really interesting scene. Um, yeah, because yeah. Dan, Dan Gallagher has since broken back into Glenn Close's apartment. This mm-hmm. is before we have cell phones, right? Yes. And taken from her Rolodex um, his phone number so she can't reach him. Oh. So she responds by pretending she's going to rent their apartment, meeting his wife. Um, if you read about borderline personality disorder, this this does fit into that whole yeah. con- you know, That's sort of not a great diagnosis um, in terms of uh, feminist family exactly. therapy. Uh-huh. But, you know, it plays into these patterns of behavior. Yeah. Um, and it's, and then it, the I thought it was funny. It wasn't meant to be funny, probably. Mm-hmm. But so Glenn Close is standing in the living room. She gets the phone number from his wife, from Dan Gallagher's wife that he's just stolen from her apartment um, so that she can call them about the rental. <laughs> so so he's not winning there. No. Yes, then uh, Dan moves away. She finds them. Um, she, at one point, I mean, we don't have to get into too much yeah. detail about this. At one point, she does kidnap his daughter, takes her for a roller coaster ride. I mean, blatant symbolism here. She drops the daughter back off. Uh, she steals the family pet, this bunny. Probably what this movie is it's interesting was also well known for is mm-hmm. the rabbit. Yeah, she boils the rabbit live. Bunny boiler, I didn't know this, apparently in the late 80s, early 90s, 90s became a term mm-hmm. for like um, sort of a home wrecker or this cra- crazy ex-girlfriend or crazy lady is a bunny boiler. Um, so yeah, so real interesting. So a lot of what we would call stalking behavior. Yes. And dangerous stalking. And it's escalating. So she's escalating yeah. as he continues to rebuff her yep. advan- advances. advances. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so what I think... He also goes to the police a couple of times. Yep. They, there's nothing they can do. Mm-mm. No, okay. and, he, he, and he pretends to be his own lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes to the police and he's talking about himself in the third person. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah. so if we kind of go through a chain of events, um, this is where I think it's funny to think about how... Well, funny or interesting mm-hmm. to think about how a feminist therapist would say the family fared versus how a traditional family therapist would say the family yeah. fared at the end. Yeah. So they, they remain an intact nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Gallagher protects his family from outside forces mm-hmm. and all is forgiven in the right. end. That, how, who, how does she, let's, I think it's important because we're going to discuss the character specifically. How does she ultimately die at the end? Who does it? Dan Gallagher kills Alex Forrest yeah. in a bathtub. He chokes her to death. Oh, wait, no, her. you're right. She yes. doesn't die that way. No. Since so she gets up to stab him again, we think she's dead. And then uh, Beth, the wife, shoots her. Yeah. 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 So that's really interesting, Julia, because, yeah, he sort of, he sort of protects and saves his family. But now his wife is also a murderer. So, like, she's, she's had to, to kill for him. She's had to kill this woman right. to keep... To keep it'd her man. Int- it'd be interesting to find out, like, as her being sort of, you're going to talk about this, being sort of um, maybe more passive in this relationship. Uh-huh. Uh, part two would be now she's, like, empowered herself, right, by shooting this woman. And what is Dan Gallagher going to do now with his now empowered wife? Well, but so, so we can look at it that way. But the other yeah. little bell that just went off yeah. in my head is she's allowed to be tough and empowered if yes. it means keeping her man. <laughs> so it's And like- kill her sexual uh, competitor. Yeah, seriously. Right. Yeah, so I don't know. Is she empowered or is she not? Yeah, and also, 
Like they don't ever discuss how like Glenn Close is pregnant this whole time yeah. and and uh, Beth has a daughter. So it's almost like it's like baboons in yeah. the Alex Forest, right? The jungle of, of Glenn Close's love. And it's like the one female kills the other one right. to maintain the man. To keep the silverback gorilla. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if she's empowered. Because in the end, I think she's still in her like bathrobe after yep. the police leave. And she like hugs him. And then they pan into this frame of the family together and right. all as well. So I think that's where your, stru- your traditional structural family therapist would say... Okay, we remained intact. Yes. We pulled our resources together to resolve this the issue. The couple united together, mm-hmm. right? So, like the the parent, the uh, couple subsystem strengthened as they removed the triangle out of their relationship, which is Alex Forrest, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the united resources. They are together, a united front. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. Now let's crack that open with with yeah. a feminist therapist would look at I that. I want you and- to do this. She would call bullshit. Yeah. So, so she or he, whoever they are, would say. Ooh, what if you said he would he, call? Okay, he. We're gonna say he. That's our feminist therapist. So we can interchange, but yes. Yeah. He. So he would look at this family and he would say that I believe that there are extreme imbalances in power here. So Dan Gallagher gets to bring another woman into their relationship, essentially endangering his wife, their daughter, their family pets, basically to the point where they're defending themselves and they're all, you know, near death. There's a lot of knife stabbing. It's really water bad. Drowning. Yeah. yeah. So he gets to do that. He gets to go have his affair. He gets to bring home all of this trauma and torture. Mm-hmm. And what his wife gets at the end of the day is that she successfully killed the woman who he brought into their marital relationship. She has to live with the rest of her life that she murdered somebody. Yes. And now I would say I feel like she's disempowered mm-hmm. because now she's so traumatized and so freaked out that she wouldn't dare have Dan Gallagher move out now that she's, you know, had to murder somebody to, right. to save herself and her child. So so I would say that a feminist therapist would say treatment is just beginning, where a more traditional oh. family therapist would say, we did it! So we get to the end. So, Yay! yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about why, like, you talk um, about the behaviors that are occurring that justify the affair. Uh-huh. Oh, this is so great, yeah, Julia. I know. So, okay. So they go to their gala. She asks about her hair. They come home from the gala, Beth, Beth and Dan. So husband and wife. And so she sits down on the bed. She's looking very beautiful. You know, it, maybe she's, you know, look, maybe even kind of has like the, the sexy time yep. eyes kind of mm-hmm. going and he's looking at her. Well, just imagine how attractive he was wheeling and dealing at this gala. Yeah. She only has eyes for him while she he's does. scanning the room, like the hunter, right? Yeah. Scanning the room while the gatherer stays protected by her husband. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so she cares about him and hairspray. That's mm-hmm. like sort of the character they've created the first 10 minutes in it. And she, you know, gets her kid ready for bed and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So, at any rate, so he walks down the hallway and he's looking at her and you're like, ooh, amorous things are going to mm-hmm. happen. And then she has the audacity to say, honey, the dog. I mean, what an ass is she? Like, what, you know, what does she want him to do? What does she really want him to he do? He was ready to have sex. Yeah. She basically handed him a card that said, you get to have sex with Glenn Close now. That's yeah. exactly. Why does she so Absolutely. So. So he goes and he looks so disappointed and he takes the dog out repeatedly. Like I said, marriage. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a drag. Repeatedly, this dog gets left, you know, unpeed. (laughs) It's like just a, you know, like I think there should be like a sequel Mm -hmm. where you involve just what the dog and the kitchen sink. In the kitchen sink. Think about everything. So, 
So he takes the dog out and he comes back in. And then, you know, so like this is, you know, his wife, his source for sexual activity. Their kid is now in the bed, you know, so it's over. Two thumbs down. Two thumbs down. Like, what is she doing? Right. Like, her duties are to be dog walker, child raiser, and put her to better, and sex object. Right. Yeah. Like, but put the kid away. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Put the child away with her hairspray. Yes. And her beautiful red lips. Yes. Yep. And just, you know, present herself for intercourse. And so that's basically... So... He sort of build up this, like, how boring and lame is their mm-hmm. life that they've got this kid and this dog. <laughs> and, 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 a, and a rabbit. Yeah, later. Yeah, they get yeah. the rabbit later. But, yeah, so so then it sort of builds into this, you know, almost, like, slow build into his sexual frustration, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is a whole other thing we probably need to tackle. Sure. Everybody's got hormones, you know, different... Yeah. Different biological factors create different hormones in different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody gets aroused to yes. some extent. Well, some people maybe don't, but within reason, p- people mostly have the capacity for arousal. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really interesting is men are often socialized to like walk around with this sort of, it's like they've got this full bottle of arousal juice right. and they must release it. Yes. You know, like, or it builds up and it flo- flows right. over. What's going to happen? Yeah. yeah. And, and Versus like, like, it's actually really normal and everybody has yeah, it. Every, yeah. Everybody, you know, I kept thinking like, doesn't his wife want to sleep with somebody? Yeah. Like, you know, because certainly she doesn't want to sleep with him. Yeah. But, but it's just, so yeah, so it's just sort of this really passionate, there's like some, I think some clothing, underwear ripping that happens mm-hmm. in this, you know, Glenn Close sex scene, okay? On the kitchen sink and, and then he tries to say goodbye. But the point is, is it's sort of, it's like, feels a little bit like it's her fault. Yes. Right? Yeah. So. Like, that's the reason this has happened, mm-hmm. you know, is this poor man's life. Yeah. yeah. There's it's, responsibilities. Yeah. 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 And so it, it's interesting. Um, the other kind of uh, fam- feminist therapy type thing is sort of he takes her power away mm-hmm. through a lot of the dialogue and the narrative mm-hmm. that he uses. So her one of her friends, another one of the wives calls and he answers the phone and um, he says, honey, what are you going to be wearing? And she says, I'm going to wear my black suit. And he responds to her, she's wearing the black dress. So there's Mm. just like a lot of kind of sexualizing of things that, that, you know, that he does as a character. Um, Then what's interesting also is they're sort of presenting a normal marriage Mm -hmm. and then he has like a general appreciation for his wife and then, and that they imply that everything is solid. So I think what's at play here is they they don't want you to totally, as a viewer, stop rooting for mm-hmm. for Michael Douglas's no. character or for his wife's character. So they're trying to balance all these factors, right? But it's really hard to watch yeah. this as a feminist and not, you know, have it kind of be imbalanced, right? Yeah. And um, one of the things that I wrote while I was watching this mm-hmm. is. <laughs> This is a stream of consciousness okay. thought at like 11 o'clock at night. So wrote, the clock is ticking. His sexy wife is too motherly. His dog has to poop too often. He needs to have sexual relations with someone outside of his family and quick. He's just so innocent in his biological state of need that the ladies aren't doing their jobs. Wife's, wife needs, the wife's needs seem to go undressed. Nice. So that's what I wrote. Yeah. And then this unmatched love that Glenn Close can provide. Mm-hmm. It's unmatched in the universe is then awaiting him and his unaddressed penis. Uh, when, Glenn Cl- when Glenn Close prompts him to wipe pastry cream from his nose during a meeting. So, you know, it's just... These, these are the things running through my head when I'm watching this. Um, and so there's expectations clearly set for women. And there's implication that his wife had... She tamed his wild yes. animal parts yep. the evening before he would not have slept with right. Glenn. 
It's all her fault. Yes, yeah, so we are to believe that um, that his wife is satisfied simply by trips to the country yes. and visits with her parents and fixing her hair. Right. I mean, that's not that wouldn't work in my marriage. That's, no. that's not on my list of the only satisfying thing for me. My, yeah, no. <laughs> so yeah, so yes. if power, so power differentials facilitate these kind of imbalances in relationships. Power is, is a limited resource in this particular relationship. Mm-hmm. Some have it, some don't. It seems to be a limited resource and or a coping strategy. The coping strategies that the wife and the husband are allowed mm-hmm. to have are very unevenly accessible. You know, he kind of has right. the money, he has the power, he has, it's right. just interesting. And what, and, and you throw in like this layer of mental health. Yeah. But what I, I thought I'd wa- be watching this thinking Glenn Close is the main character, but I really got stuck on their relationship. Mm-hmm. Like she was just like people with mental instability. <laughs> pass in and out of you know your sort of world paradigm all the time yeah and in this particular marriage she stuck around glenn close's character stuck around yeah she saw an open door there so she um i think too like this goes back to like exacerbating so like you have the traits like so we have this men are aggressive and you could what's interesting about glenn close's character about alex is that she's very aggressive so she actually draws in some of these more masculine traits, stereotypical traits, but along that is like high emotionality and like a lot of um, like clear anxiety with the fear of being abandoned and what that was like for her and and him, you know, being, I mean, just like it's so ill-equipped to like handle those things makes for her to be, and I mean, amazing, amazingly well acted. Mm-hmm. Um But is this, so then too, how the stereotypes sort of stay consistent then in this film was that the husband made this terrible mistake with this completely unhinged woman, right? So you still, like, I don't know how many people felt a ton of sympathy for her character, right? Because it's all her fault because she's crazy, right? I mean, he just had this, and, and very much minimizing it, he just had this fling, like, it's because his wife wouldn't have sex with him, and now he's being punished by this crazy woman. So I feel like in some ways the film exemplifies that also with the idea of sort of like the Madonna whore issue here. Mm-hmm. So like the woman who is sleeping with the married man dies at the end, and the wife, the suffering angelic wife, stays intact to be with Dan. Yeah. So it perpetuates some of those things. So mm-hmm. as a feminist therapist... How would you work with Alex Forrest? So oh. if she managed to make it into treatment, which we all feel, I feel she needs, and then we can wrap up this podcast and uh, yeah, okay, city it. So this is really interesting. I think we can look a little bit about like at a, a first of all, I wouldn't work with this woman without a psychiatric evaluation. Absolutely. Yeah. Be- so like, let's do standards of care here. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, so maybe the course of action should have been like how this would have all been prevented if it hadn't been a movie would be. He calls 911, the ambulance comes, mm-hmm. and she is hospitalized. Mm-hmm. And now, hopefully, we'll be accepting some type of treatment. Right. And what, okay. what's scary is that in yeah. 1987, what's so funny is these these big pillars of things that we rely on, I would say she needs to see a medical doctor, she needs to see a psychiatrist, and then we need to get to a place where she's safe, physically safe enough to even do any kind of treatment. But then I would wonder how... In 1987, much do we get to rely on the medical model to get her stabilized to a point where she can receive any kind of treatment? Yeah, or be released from the hospital? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know. So, so that would be interesting. Um, here's what psychiatric evaluations of Forrest have said um, when they've been done of her character. Um, th- they have said... And this didn't make it make it to our copy, so I'm just going to okay. read it off what we got. But they've said borderline personality disorder. That seems to be like the stereotypical yeah. presentation that we're seeing here. Um, there are a lot of unsort of pathologizing that mm-hmm. is what I would do as a feminist therapist. Yes. So I would look at the behaviors that are, con- I mean, because I'm also a behaviorist. Yeah. So those two things have kind of worked well for me because mm-hmm. I would look at how these behaviors were conditioned in this person, which also would allow me to sort of take the pressure and the blame off of the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Glenn Close is going to get better if she feels horrible about herself. Right. She clearly, ha- those behaviors have been reinforced mm-hmm. in her repertoire of coping strategies Clearly, yeah. you know, she didn't just wake up one day yeah. and start stabbing people. And boiling rabbits. Right. Yes. So so things have gone wrong here. Right. So And she at some point in her life was clearly terribly either mistreated but certainly unloved over mm-hmm. and over again. And I and I would and say I would, she presents as an abandoned child. Yes, I would agree. I would say some type of attachment there. Yeah, because um, she's she's got a, t- a real big fear of people leaving. Yes. So we'd have to rule out other things going on, you know, sort of chemical imbalances, mm-hmm. hormones, her physical health. Yeah. Tons of things we would have to get yeah. through before we could really determine, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on here. Um, so that was just interesting. So borderline is one thing. Um, they talk about her self-harming behavior as being evidence of that. One uh, psyche veil of her... Uh, these are just out there online. Yes. They're just interesting. Is that she's a psychopath. Uh, listen to her episode. Julie and I unpacks mm. psychopathology. She doesn't really meet criteria no. for that. That's um, not the first thing because of the emotional. Yeah, uh, she, she has, she's a range of emotions. She feels things. She feels things. Yeah. And a lot of times sociopaths like Dexter, if you think, don't really feel things. They're right. very confused about other people's feelings. Right. And a psychopath has to do really, really big things to get sort of big rushes. Right. She... Yeah, she doesn't. I mean, she does really huge things because she feels everything so intensely. Yes, exactly. It's not too necessarily. So for her, this kind of goes to internal. Like, it's because she's feeling things so bigly that she's bigly. Oh no. Oh. So <laughs> no more debate watching. No more debate watching. No more. Um, so she yeah. feels things so much that causes her to do antisocial things, right? But as opposed to like. It doesn't feel like there's personal gain going on. Right. Which I know some of you might be listening and going, well, that isn't there. But it's it's like she's so upset and she's so afraid that she's going to be abandoned. So there's like a lot of fear mm-hmm. versus a sociopath is doing it. They're not scared. Nope. There's not fear there. They're there's, controlling They're the controlling. Uh, they're doing it to maybe get out or not get caught of doing something. Or they're simply doing it because they don't really have anything else going on or they're enjoying it. She's doing it because she is afraid he's going to leave. And that, to me, is why mm-hmm. she doesn't really meet that criteria for sociopathy. Right. And and in, in sociopathy and, and like psychopathology, mm-hmm. the first interest is sort of that sensation or that stimulation along with that power and control right. her first choice although it wouldn't work her first choice would be that he loves her yes her first choice is not that he's tortured but when Correct. she can't elicit that powerful emotion right. she elicits a lot of other powerful right. emotions instead of right. him and then but madeline what about the animal harm so yeah so really interesting she gets sick when she's watching him deliver when she's stalking him and watching him deliver this bunny to his daughter and his mm-hmm. wife She's been stalking him for a while, and they show her sort of outside the family unit watching him deliver this gift, and she becomes physically ill, and she's clearly just horrifically upset. Mm -hmm. So I would say she she was 
trying to make him feel, if I had to guess, as terrible as she felt. But that's also not really psychopathology Mm -mm. because to kill a rabbit to make somebody else feel bad or to make the rabbit feel bad because you get enjoyment out of the rabbit being hurt is is more along the lines of psychopathology. To kill somebody's pet because they rejected you and you want them to be hurt because you were hurt is more, you know, it's a little more... I mean, there's definitely some stuff going on there, yeah. but but it's right. Not as it's and it's very cruel, but it's coming from a different place. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's different. Yeah, and also I think yes to torture the family. So it's it's yeah, it's about him feeling bad, but also the competitor, like the lover, like the wife who is her mm-hmm. um, competitor adversary in this case. Yeah, and it serves to scare the whole family. Yeah, that too. Yeah, so. because also if the wife leaves him. Yep. Then she can be with him. Yeah. In the nice house. Yeah, that's the other the other so, point. Okay. Okay, the the most entertaining diagnosis was um, erotomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> so so that one, um, it's when she can she consulted three different shrinks and they uh, what Glenn Close did when she was preparing for the role. And erotomaniac is Sort the of, first time I've heard of this, by the way. It's so interesting. Okay. It's an obsessive condition. It's known as I'm gonna totally say this wrong. Clara Boltz syndrome, mm-hmm. and it's basically you become obsessed with sort of intense sexual erotic relationships to the point where you you have to like own them. So it's it's interesting. Like I I don't I don't know that to me it sounds more like a symptom mm-hmm. of years of her traumatic mm-hmm. learning history more than it does a thing on on itself that she you yeah. know in itself that she has. Um, yeah, and then she's also been called Bunny Boiler. It's, it describes like an erotomaniac and a, sort of an obsessive, sexually yeah. obsessed woman. Um, in this case, a spurned woman, and and that became like a big, yeah, a big thing. Uh, erotomania is also a delusional disorder, and people believe that other other people are in love with them. Really interesting. I would say if you're gonna diagnose erotomania, which don't but i would say if you're gonna do that um you have to look at sort of the context mm-hmm. um the, i think the way they intend that term to be used is for people that could never like people fall in love with movie stars yes somebody that you've given there's been no indication in reality that yes. this person is interested in you i mean glenn close spent a weekend having passionate sex with a guy she had di- she they made dinner right they had coffee she puts tea on mm-hmm. you know like they they have they have intimacy yeah there's intimacy it's not insane for her to believe right. that he might love her at some right. point i mean as opposed to my <laughs> waning obsession with aaron Rodgers. right right that's erotomania julia <laughs> Just because I sent him some of my award-winning strawberry jam. Oh, that is my favorite thing. Five years ago. Oh, that's And he hasn't responded, but he will one day. But he will. And you now believe that the two of you are in a romantic relationship. Absolutely. We're completely in a romantic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally great. Yeah. So, that's good. (laughs) That's for for another another session. That's for a different (laughs) podcast. Not this one. Yeah. Well, this was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Go out and watch uh, Fatal Attraction. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> and uh, get ready here. Part two is on its way. Yeah. Probably not at the same time, but shortly thereafter. Uh, you can find us uh, at couchofcharacters at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at couchcharacters. Characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, reach out. Let us know what you think. We would love to hear from you. And have a wonderful afternoon. Bye. Bye. Bye.